Hi everyone, my name is Johnny McCormick and you're listening to Spoke. This week on the show, I'm joined by Kenneth McElroy, one of the co-founders of the Keith Ness Brock Project. And if you're wondering what exactly a Brock is, then you're in exactly the same position I was in before our conversation. Brocks are essentially historic monuments from the Iron Age that are found in Scotland. And in this episode, Kenneth tells us about why they're important, where to find them, and he also chats more widely about the need for archaeological discovery. It's an interesting conversation, so let's jump in. Kenny, thanks so much for um, making the time and joining us on the podcast today. Really good to have you here. No problem. Thanks for inviting me, uh, Johnny. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. I've had a listen to your, your previous interviews and uh, they were they were fabulous. So um, I'm quite flattered that you've asked me to. <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much, Kenny. I'm flattered that you've uh, that you've made the time to come on. So, Kenny, if you've listened to a few of the interviews already, you'll know that I normally like to give my guests the opportunity to introduce themselves in their own words. So I'll hand over to you for 30 seconds or a minute or so, and you can let our fine listeners know who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Johnny. Um, well, my name is Kenneth McElroy, and I suspect I've been invited onto the show today to talk about um, Brochs. Actually, I have a strange fascination with 2,000-year-old ancient monuments, which were exclusively built in Scotland during the Iron Age. So that's right about 2,000 years ago. And these monuments are known as Brochs, and you've got to get the pronunciation correct. You've really got to get that sound. Uh, Brochs, uh, like, as explained, were built during the Iron Age, so that's 2,000 years ago, only found in Scotland, and they are really substantial constructions. Um, there is only one, really, that remains uh, close to its full sort of height or how it would have looked 2,000 years ago, and that can be found on Musa uh, in Shetland. Um, it's around about 40 feet high, and that's excluding the roof, which would have been there, we suspect. Um, and yeah, like I say, these are really fantastic um, ancient constructions. Uh, where I come from, called Caithness, uh, there are more brochs or more broch remains than anywhere else in Scotland. Um, and so myself and a few colleagues have uh, decided to take it upon ourselves to try and promote this fact, <clears throat> especially in uh, the fact that uh, Caithness is a very rural area and it has a number of, sort of economic dislocations associated with being a, a rural area. Um, not least the uh, foreseen closure of Doonery, the main employer uh, in the area, which is expected to happen in the next um, 20 or so years. So I help run a project called Caithness Brock Project, which uh, almost does exactly as it says in the tin. Uh, we promote Brocks and Caithness. We want to promote Caithness as a heritage tourism destination. And that's through a number of projects like outreach events at schools, uh, through archaeological excavations, through the conservation of particular rocks. But our flag, flagship pro, uh, project is to reconstruct a replica brock, which would serve as a tourist attraction, uh, a traditional skills workshop, a major experiment in archaeology, and hopefully an icon for, for Caithness too. Wow, that sounds uh, sounds really exciting. Thanks for sharing that, Kenny. Can you just, before we um, jump into talking about Brox for the next little while, can you just tell us exactly what one is, what it looks like, that sort of thing? Sure. Yeah, Brox are um, sort of 2,000-year-old um, dry stone constructions. And that is to say they're built without cement or lime and mortar. 
which is really quite impressive, actually, when you consider it. It's, it's basically just like Lego, but using proper big blocks of stone. You're not using anything else to seal that. So these these uh, constructions are tower tower like basically. Um, they have the sort of appearance of like a, a nuclear cooling tower, if you can imagine what that is. Um, it's it's about forty feet high, but no block is the same really. Uh, we, we kind of just have to use the kind of scant archaeological record, and there are only a few kind of blocks which stand close to their original height. Musa being one which I mentioned earlier, but also the blocks that can be found in Glen Elg, which is near Sky, uh, Duntelv and Duntrodden, which also stand um, still to the sort of very close to their true height. Um, the blocks themselves are quite complicated architectural constructions. They have two walls with a staircase running in between them, which leads sometimes to the top, but perhaps not always. And uh, also within these walls, you may find cells, corbelled cells built into the walls. You'll find voids running up through from the bottom to the top of the of the block these are quite interesting because we don't really know what they're for they could have been a form of sort of a, a chimney a, a kind of uh, almost in for use in central heating actually uh, or it may have been a sort of a, a structural load-bearing kind of component of the block as well um, and going further up the block we, we we know even less other than we highly suspect or we really think that this was a multi-floored structure and you can tell that uh, through the fact that there is a staircase running to the running through the through the block but also due to the scarcement ledges which is a sort of ledge which juts inwards from the block uh, which would have supported um, beams of some description so it's the for all, for all intents and purposes they are iron age skyscrapers wow and would they have been used for people to live in, Kenny, was that their primary use? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we don't actually really know. I mean, I think most of the, the finds from within Brock's point to sort of domestic use. So you find things like quern stones, which you use to kind of grind grain. You find things like um, bone combs, pottery, these sort of things that you'd associate with, you know, um, a life lived, basically, within a within a domestic sort of sphere. Um so there's there's not there's not much to suggest that they were used, say, defensively. And in any case, they're pretty useless defensively because they have one entrance, one exit. Um, so there's not much use. <clears throat> so we don't really know what they were used for. We don't really know who used them. Was it, you know, were they in use by three or four families or was it just, you know, for, say, the, the tribal leader to use? Um, or were they even houses? They may have had some sort of defen- defensive function. They may equally have been used as massive sort of store centres for, for grain, for cattle, for things like that. Uh, the other thing to note is that they may have just been built because these people could build them as, as a kind of status symbol. So it's just a bit like showing off to, sh- to, to, to show the other tribe or to, to people entering your land that you can build bigger and better than them. So they're, they're really fascinating structures. Um, and I think we do still need to do a lot of research into them before they're more understood. Would you find typically a lot of these structures quite close together or would they be fairly well spaced out? Like how many would you find within, if you were thinking about them maybe being used as um, residential accommodation, something like that, that would signify to me that there was maybe six or seven close together where small community might form or would you typically find one and then, you know, nothing for a couple of miles and then another one? What's the, what's the sort of spread of them? 
Depends where you are in Scotland, actually. Um, if you are in, say, the borders or south, uh, where there's a kind of, there are relatively few brochs, I mean, a handful of brochs compared to the highlands and islands where, where brochs are much more prevalent, you'll find, um, certainly in the, in the borders in the south, that these brochs are by themselves. Um, we're also, we see in the likes of the Western Isles, these brochs also appear kind of just as towers by themselves with no associated settlements and a bit further out from, say, other brochs as well. But when you get to, see the likes of Caithness, Orkney and Shetland and Sutherland too, sorry, um, you find that brochs are closer together. Um, they are um, also have sort of communities growing around them as well, sort of settlements, um, nucleated sort of settlements, smaller buildings associated with them. Certainly, I mean, you know, in Caithness, I can think of an example at Keese where there is literally two brochs and they are about 40 feet away from each other. So they, 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 there are sort of instances where brochs can be found very, very close together. Um, but bearing in mind that there are there are two around about two hundred brochs in Caithness alone, you know, the, you don't have to go far before you see another broch at some point. Do these um, brochs, Kelly? Do they have any sort of protected status? Like, are they, um, you know, are they archaeologically protected, or what's the sort of What's the, the likelihood that these things could disappear? How are they being preserved, I suppose? Well, there's actually plenty of them. Um, the kind of the, the scheduling and the protection uh, side of thing, uh, certainly in Scotland, I'm not terribly how sure it, how sure it works in England, um, but certainly they, they can only afford to give certain monuments protection. Um, and there are a number of brochs, such as Musa, uh, Duncarnaby, Dundornagall, <laughs> which are under the protection of Historic Environment Scotland, and are scheduled monuments for for you know just for their the sheer monumentality of their remains. There are other brochs as well which are protected because they might they, because it, perhaps they are um, they think that it's going to be archaeologically important to keep these protected for research in the future. Uh, so there are quite a few brochs that are actually afforded protection at the moment. Um, but however, a lot of brochs in Scotland are literal mounds of rubble, grass. Uh, dirt basically um, or may have been severely robbed out or mutilated by uh, by well people looking for treasure in the past but also antiquarians there's a chap called um, Francis Tresbury who was um, active in the sort of early 20th century late 19th century he actually excavated about 14 brochs in 14 years um it was very clandestine archaeology is what they were doing there, basically, more Indiana Jones than anything else, I think. Um, but to give you a comparison there, there's a chap, Martin Carruthers, at the University of the Highlands and Islands, who's been investigating one broch for 10 years. So the brochs that uh, Tress Barry has been excavating are, are, are quite mutilated. They've been pretty much destroyed as such. Um, but on the flip side of that, I mean, I think that it was quite important that he... Um, did some investigation, some some early investigation into brochs. Yeah, and whenever you say people are still researching these, Kenny, what what sort of what are they spending their time doing? What are they researching? Are they out there, you know, doing on site archaeology? Is it desk research? Give us a little bit of insight into how active this this sort of research is. Well, absolutely, brochs are you know a, a hugely vital component of Scottish archaeology, if not one of the most important. Um, parts of Scottish archaeology and certainly in my opinion anyway I'm sure others would disagree but they are such there is still so much mystery to them there's still so much that we don't know about them you know why they were built who lived in them how they were built these sort of questions can only kind of be asked kind of be answered through 
um, well, through our project as well, but also through uh, archaeological excavation. And that's mainly through excavation as well as is, is one of the best ways. It's a very destructive way of, of, of understanding about these these structures, but it's perhaps the best way to, to learn more about them. <clears throat> there, there is, for instance, as I, as I mentioned, the, the Cairns Brock in Orkney, which Martin Carruthers has been excavating for the past 10 years, which has thrown up some really interesting stuff. Um, I mean, for instance, they found um, hair <laughs> uh, in, a, in a well um, in one of these, in, in the Brock, uh, and that can give a lot of information about the type of people who were living there. Um, they found um, sort of organic components, um, they found a wooden bowl, all of these sort of things can help answer about what sort of things were growing around the area, what kind of things they were eating, you know, what their health was, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not only that. I think that rocks also play an important role in um, also sort of def- defining heritage tourism in the in Scotland and defining Scotland as well. Um, I can think of, for example, um, the Dumbeath Brock Project in Caithness, who have been um, active in conserving a brock, making sure that it doesn't fall down any, any further. Also, Clack Tallbrock out uh, in Sutherland, down the west coast of Scotland, um, which has been a huge, huge project, and it's just been fantastic to see that develop over the last few years. But they've done excavation there as well as conser- conservation as well. <clears throat> so they're protecting these these sites for future generations too, to to not only to learn about but also to enjoy as well. So, so Brock certainly are um, still being investigated, uh, both kind of de- desk based research, but um, Happily, they are still doing excavation because that's the most fun part, after all. Yeah. So you've mentioned, um, Kenny, a couple of times the potential tourism impact of Brox, and I do want to come back to that at some stage. But one thing that uh, struck me, you were you were talking about the the chap whose name I can't remember, Carruthers, um, uh, who had been researching or excavating a brock for sort of 10 10 years and found things like hair organic matter so that that would suggest to me that this is actually quite an interdisciplinary field of study that it's not just sort of archaeologists who are out maybe doing stuff with trials or dig, digging back but there's maybe biologists human geographers those those sorts of people involved is that the case yeah, absolutely. Yeah, archaeology is quite a wide-ranging subject in itself. I mean, it employs a number of skills to to, to be able to, to be able to be an archaeologist. Actually, you know, um, but there are different types of archaeologists. You get um, ar- archaeobotanists. You get osteoarchaeologists. So people who might look at, at bones and uh, sort of further study that. Archaeobotanists would look at sort of plant remains, things like that. Environmental archaeologists, landscape archaeologists. They're all studying rocks in their own field. Um, looking at rocks in a, in a different light in a different way and as you say yes it is it is a, is a kind of a, a melting pot of disciplinaries and interests because rocks i think um there is so much to, to know about them and i think they can shed light not just on rocks but on, on kind of culture and humans uh, and scotland at well at two thousand years ago actually so yeah there's there's um there's lots to be gleaned from the study of rocks and how how did you sort of get involved in something like this, Kenny? And it probably be worth explaining as well to um, the listeners. Are you an archaeologist by background, or so? Tell us a little bit about how you got involved, but also what you do now. Sure, far far from it, or um, maybe not too far. I'm studying archaeology at Glasgow University at the moment, so I'm in second year. Um, but prior to that, I mean, the, the Caithness Brock project has been 
ongoing for about five years now. So we formed it in 2013. I was actually working in a call centre in 2013. So I think it was through sheer boredom that I <laughs> helped to co-found this this project. Um, it was myself and uh, uh, a friend called Ian McLean, who uh, is a self-employed builder with a with a healthy interest in in history and archaeology and in Brocks. And we basically got together and we both knew the kind of difficulties that Caithness faces or faced or, or still faces. Um, in particular, we were most worried about the uh, the closure or the oncoming closure of Dunray, the nuclear power plant, uh, which has for the best part of 50 years provided economic security and safety for literally thousands of Caithnesians. I mean, today it employs about one in five people in Caithness. It's about 10%. 10% of the uh, of, of people in Caithness are employed by by Dunry. Um Huge number, huge, huge number. So it is going to close down. It's a, it's one of it's you know one of the first uh, kind of reactors in in the UK to be built. So it is you know on its last legs now. It is being decommissioned. Uh, and, and all of this is really cutting edge technology for the time being. But it's going to close down in the next 20 or so years. And so I think the the effects of Dunry closing are going to be noticeable, to say the least. So myself and Ian thought about ways in which we could offset that. And having bo- both having a, a strong interest in archaeology and history, uh, we thought about ways of really promoting the archaeology in Caithness, making Caithness a heritage tourism destination in its own right, because we are only, we are literally 20 miles away from Orkney, which is known as one of the kind of archaeological gems of not only Scotland, not only UK, but of Europe and perhaps the world too. And so we, it, it, it makes staggering amounts of money from its ex, from its heritage tourism. Something like, um, I, I'm sure there'll be more recent um, figures than this, but in 2012-2013, Visit Scotland figures showed it made £36 million from economic from it from tourism as such and a health a big part of that was heritage tourism about half half the visitors who went to orkney went because of archaeology or for, or for history so i mean it's now it's it's now um since then it's it's overtaking fishing and farming as the biggest economic provider for the isles so it's clear to see the benefits of of promoting the area that you live in through archaeology through history and so we thought well, actually, Keith, this has got bags and bags of history and archaeology. It's got some of the best castles in Scotland. It's got huge kind of cairn remains. But what it has more than anywhere else in Scotland and anywhere else in the, in the world, for that matter, is it has more brochs. And so we felt that the broch could become an icon for Caithness um, and really help to sort of um, cement its position as a as a tourism destination. And with tourism, you've got, you know, it's not just the tourists who come here who benefit from from seeing all these sites. I mean, I've worked, I worked, when I worked in BT, I also worked in um, a cafe and a, and a restaurant. And the amount of tourists that we would get going to Orkney was was quite incredible. We just needed to keep them here for another night, something like that. Give them another another reason to stay a bit longer and enjoy what Caithness had to offer. Yeah. And how has promoting that been Kenny. I mean, it sounds like quite a difficult task to do to do something like that. How do you go about beginning to promote Caithness as a you know as a heritage tourist or tourism destination? Well, 
It's surprisingly easy, actually, Johnny, because Caithness has so much to offer. It's such a stunning uh, county. It's very, it's very different, first of all, to say the likes of, um, you know, the traditional view of Scotland, which are rolling hills and glens and um, sort of huge mountainscapes, things like that. Caithness is very flat, first and foremost. So it, it is a slight, um, it's slightly different to to what people imagine, and I think perhaps the they're not always so taken with it, but in my opinion, it's absolutely fantastic place, uh, certainly for archaeology and history. So it's a bit more difficult to promote in terms of, um, say, the natural environment, which is why I think most people come to Caithness. But in terms of history and archaeology, it has some of the best in Scotland. It has the Campster Cairns, which are really uh, fantastic ancient um, cairn systems. Um, they're about three to 5,000 years old. We have Sinclair Garnagal Castle, which is probably my favourite castle in Scotland. It has um, a number of sort of World War II remains, World War I remains, things like that. Um, there's so much to see and so much to do in Caithness. So it's actually not as, not as difficult as you might think to promote it. Um, and certainly I think having a good grasp of social media has been key to the promotion of, um, of Caithness as a, as, a, as a heritage tourism destination. Fortunately, I'm I'm quite well versed with with Facebook. I spend far too much time on it, so it's been you know it's been it's been okay to promote it, especially when like the the kind of scenery and the the castles and the cairns lend itself so well to being you know shared around the world. So it's it's there are difficulties. Don't get me wrong, but um, it's Caithness is very much still um, a real historic gem in my opinion. Practically speaking, Kenny, how does someone get to Caithness? Where, where is it? How would someone easily get there and begin to enjoy these sorts of things? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, and kind of one that comes up every now and then. The, the sort of travel routes or the links to Caithness are somewhat um, difficult, shall we say. I mean, there is literally one road from Inverness uh, to Caithness. That is kind of like a lifeline almost. And it's interesting to see that come up in discussion just now because of, say, the maternity maternity issues in in Caithness. There is now a kind of maternity ward that isn't able to deal with any sort of difficult pregnancies. So people are faced with, uh, you know, a two and a half, three hour journey to get birth, which is a quite, quite incredible. In addition to that, um, there are no, say, sea routes to, to Caithness as such. There's no ferries that, that come specifically to Caithness. And in addition to that, the air... Uh, links are also um, by comparison poorer than that to the rest of Scotland. For instance, Orkney has three flights a day to Glasgow. Caithness has no flights a day to Glasgow. It has one flight a day to Edinburgh at about half past two in the afternoon, which doesn't really suit anybody. You know, if you're coming up here for business, that's not ideal, is it? Um, <clears throat> so it's 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 still possible to get here. It will take a bit of time, depending on where you're coming from. Um, but the drive up north is pretty spectacular and um, once you're here I'm sure people would love it. Yeah so it sounds like one of those places though Kenny that you've got to be quite intentional about wanting to visit so it's not somewhere that you're just going to sort of happen upon um, if you're taking a 30 minute drive outside of Glasgow, Edinburgh, Aberdeen or something like that you've got to want want to go there and I suppose my, my next question then is do you find that um, the Caithness Brock project is that one of the main draws now to the area for tourism? Like, is that one of the main ways that Caithness is attracting heritage tourists? 
Unfortunately, not. We're still pretty, um, I suppose, embryonic in our in our whole sort of in the whole block project. We are definitely encouraging people to to come here. I'm seeing comments on our Facebook page or, or or social media. We get messages to say, I've met people who have who have come here specifically for us, which is incredible. Um, because we have nothing, to, we, we don't have anything. We operate out of my mate's house, so that's not really a tour, that's not really a tourist attraction, a housing estate, not yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll maybe we'll get a blue plaque on one of them one day, but not yet. But um, interestingly enough, Caithness is on the tourist route to Orkney, and thousands and thousands of people visit Orkney each year. As a comparison, again in 2015. When I was working in Orkney, uh, Orkney, sorry, Caithness had uh, 12 cruise ship visits. Orkney had 126. So that gives you an idea of, of how many people visit Orkney. The, you know, despite us, us having sort of, by and large, quite similar archaeological things to visit, it just markets itself much better. And it does have these sort of st- outstanding archaeological sites such as Skyabry, Ring of Brodker, Maze Out. And I would, you know, fully, fully, um, encourage you to go and visit that part of the world um but i think um the other sort of tourist attraction at the moment uh certainly from where i'm coming from is the north coast 500 which has been a phenomenal success uh, and it takes in well basically the entire coastline of caithness thousands and thousands of people are doing this as well it's been a real asset to the sort of tourism industry in the north of scotland um, and so Caithness has definitely benefited from that as part of that. But I used to work for the North Coast 500, Johnny, and I would come across comments talking about Caithness as dull or boring and that they would look to get that part of the journey over and done with, which was you know, a bit, de- de- bit depressing to see, to be honest. And I you know, couldn't disagree more that it was it was boring or, or, um, or dull. It's really, it really depends how you look at it. I think in terms of history and archaeology, it is number one kind of... Uh, in, in the North Coast 500. Um, so certainly it's not the Brock project that are bringing people here, but people are interested in coming here. There's a lot to see, there's a lot to do, and I think we're doing a, a decent job at, at promoting the area too. Yeah, absolutely. And Kenny, do you see this as something that you want to do full-time or is this something that you're doing on the side alongside university because I I know you've said you know you're studying archaeology do you see this as something that's going to eventually turn into you know work or your life's work or a significant part of that yeah well my mum always wanted me to be like an engineer or a dentist but I've had to disappoint her by becoming by wanting (laughs) to become an archaeologist I'm afraid so um I mean it's definitely one of my passions in life and I would love to become an archaeologist or something to do with heritage and archaeology. Um, don't know what that is yet. You need to just get that degree over and done with. But certainly the Brock project has helped me understand what it's like to say run a project, to f- do funding applications, to do community outreach work, to work with schools, work with children, work with old people, work with people, manage a team, all these sort of things. Um are part and parcel of, of running a project and I'm loving every minute of it to be honest even if it is turning my hair slightly grey um, it is still very much enjoyable. Yeah great and Kenny I suppose one sort of final question before we wrap up um, is do you think that there's anything still to be discovered out there in terms of archaeological significance around Brocks or has has most of the discovery now been done and we're now moving into further research building understanding preservation heritage that sort of thing well there's so many blocks that haven't been fully 
uh, investigated or excavated. I mean, I can I can only think really of those two examples, uh, Clactall and uh, the Cairnsbrock by Martin Carruthers, which have really sought to understand uh, brocks from, you know, from the very deepest foundations of brocks. So the more we investigate and excavate and learn and research, then the better. And I think because the, the sheer scarcity, I mean, archaeology is quite an expensive business, um, so it is quite difficult to do sometimes. But it's very much worth doing it, and I think that there is so there are so many brocks out there to be uh, to be investigated. There is so much more to be learned about brocks, um, and I look forward to being part of that. I think, <laughs> Kenny. So I normally like to hand over to my guest to close out the show. Um, so this is your opportunity, I, I suppose, to share with people about where they can connect with you, where they can maybe find you on social, and maybe even give a little bit of a pitch for some people to visit Caithness. Oh, absolutely. Uh, if you do have any plans to visit Scotland, make sure that Caithness is in your itinerary because you won't be disappointed, especially if you have an interest in archaeology or history, then it is just the go-to place, in my opinion, uh, to visit. So please do come and visit us in Caithness. We're not that hard to get to and it's well worth it. And in terms of the Brock Project, we're always doing something. You can get us online. We are www.thebrockproject.co.uk. You can help support us by buying a membership. You get a lovely pen and badge with that. Or you can buy a number of sort of merchandise bits and bobs. We have T-shirts, pins, um, lots of things to buy, basically. And we'll have more for Christmas, too, I'm delighted to see. And it all goes towards a 100% voluntary charity project, which has some seriously big ambitions, some seriously important ambitions, too. Um, you can also get us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, because we're, we're hip and we're cool and all that. And yeah, if you have any questions, just drop us a line, keithnessbrockproject at gmail.com. I love to talk about brocks if you haven't gathered that already. Perfect. Kenny, thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy Brockfield schedule to come and speak with us. It's been an absolute delight. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure, Johnny.